This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Thursday, August 6th. The Cubs and Royals complete a four-game set that included two at Wrigley Field in Chicago and two at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. The Cubs taking the first three games of this series, which included, obviously, both of the games in Chicago and the first one in Kansas City, and then deliver a a bit of a clunker, if you will, on Thursday. So we will forget about that one and move on. But the Cubs, after this four-game set with the Royals, sit at 10-3, and which puts them as the best team in the National League, unless you count the Miami Marlins, who are 5-1 and and technically have a better win percentage. But since the Cubs have played seven more games, I'm going to go ahead and defer to the Cubs on that one. That would also put the Cubs in a tie for the best win percentage in baseball. Again, unless you feel adamant about including the 5-1 and Miami Marlins, which is your prerogative to do. Uh, I'm going to consider the Cubs still at the top of the league, though. I'm fine with that. Uh, Before Thursday's game, after winning the first three with Kansas City, that put the Cubs on a six-game winning streak, and the Cubs have not lost any of the series that they have played in the 2020 season so far. So, clunker on Thursday aside, Brendan, I would say all things are going quite well here. They were the first team, Corey, in the National League to get to 10 wins. David Ross, the energy in the dugout is palpable. You have Rizzo like leading the charge. All the guys, even during the away games, like singing Rizzo's walk-up song. So all in all, like the energy is still there. The bats are still grinding. The rotation's still going deep in the games. The bullpen we'll talk about towards the end, like we always do. But overall, this is what you wanted to see. You wanted the Cubs to start banking wins early, and that's exactly what they're doing. The and especially I think coming off of me just mentioning that the Marlins have only played six games and the Cubs are going to be playing a Cardinals team this weekend that has not played a lot of games and has some guys still out with this coronavirus outbreak and stuff. It's important to bank these early wins, right? We don't know what's going to happen from a a human perspective going forward in this season and, you know, just the baseball element. We've seen a lot of guys across the league, their performances don't look like you would expect them to. uh, And you've got a lot of injuries from pitchers and stuff like that. You've got constant roster movement and it's you know we know it's it's a weird season there's no fans they're coming out of this this long break and I think it's important to bank these early wins build yourself a division lead and the Cubs find themselves with uh, one of the biggest division leads in baseball as we're recording this the Brewers are beating the White Sox if they won it would go down to three and a half uh, but that would still put them in a tie for the biggest division lead in baseball now with so many teams making the playoffs and stuff like that, it's just important to bank these early wins. You don't know how everything's going to go. You don't know how health is going to be across the league as we keep going forward here. And, you know, you've got the trade deadline looming. What's that going to look like? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of variables. There are a lot of unknowns for a unique situation like this. So I think to 
give yourself that room to adjust down the road and, and deal with potential hurdles. It's very important because this is just not mm-hmm. a, a season. And, and we talked about this leading up to this and kind of in those first series. This is just not a season when it's so short and, and so strange where you want to have to dig yourself out of a hole. That's not really a, a, a good prospect you want to be looking at. We see the effect of that. So despite Kimbrough struggling, he gets an opportunity to come in in a relatively safe lead and adjust. And adjust he did despite still not looking to the norms that we want to see. And that's the benefit of all of this. You can bank wins. You can get out deep leads early on. And you give David Ross, who's inexperienced, we always forget that, but it gives him an opportunity himself to figure things out. So you have the player side, you have the team side, but this is also beneficial for Ross, man, like being able to have the luxury to mix and match and maybe play a few matchups just because you're winning like seven to one during a game or because you're 10 and two and you have a four and a half game division lead. Not that you're going to like, you know, tank it in or whatever, but it does give Ross more flexibility and that's huge yeah absolutely I think there's there's a a lot I mean obviously the whole point here is to win games so that's just good in a vacuum but there as you're mentioning there's a lot of subtle benefits to that in in such a weird season I mean even someone like Nico Horner comes to mind like when you're winning games like you know he he's had his struggles so far uh you know at times at the plate in in terms of making adjustments and stuff like that and and when the team is winning and he's playing good defense you have the ability to let him work through that and 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 like you said with Kipnis yeah that's why we haven't seen Kipnis play that much just because okay let's give Nico the time the development because he's missed minor league seasons now for two straight years that's huge as opposed to immediately kind of having to put that pressure on and say, look, mm-hmm. like, right. you know, we're in a bad spot as far as these standings go and as far as these results go, that can make things a little trickier. You just don't feel as comfortable letting guys kind of work through things and, and seeing what they have. And there's there's a, a few situations like that that I think the Cubs are obviously able to take advantage of because on the whole, they're playing really good baseball and you can kind of allow those things to get in there. But as we always do, Let's recap these four games with the Kansas City Royals. Just a couple moments just to set the table so that as we talk about some of these pitchers, etc., later in the podcast, we don't have to keep referencing their line and stuff like that. Uh, I will keep it quick, I swear. On Monday, the Cubs winning two to nothing behind Alec Mills. Alec Mills uh, was drafted by the Kansas City Royals and after the game said it was his job to make it hurt that he was doing this in another uniform, and that he did. Seven innings, three hits, no earned, three walks, four strikeouts for Mills, who is now 2-0 with a 1.38 ERA on the season. Following him in this game, uh, strong bullpen performances from Casey Sadler, who goes two-thirds of an inning, allows a hit, no walks, which I think is the key number here, and a strikeout, and then Rowan Wick gets a four-out save, one hit, no runs, no walks, and a strikeout. That's Rowan's second save of the season. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on a Javi Baez sack fly in the fifth inning, and then Chris Bryant's first home run of the season, a liner to center field that made it two to nothing in the seventh, and that was all that the Cubs would need. Bryant was two for three in this game with a walk and obviously that home run. So nice to see Chris uh, getting back from his gastrointestinal issues and making himself uh, a presence in the lineup. So that was very good to see, obviously. Then on Tuesday, the Cubs finishing up the Wrigley portion of this set with a five to four win. The Cubs led five to two going into the ninth inning, and I will give you all one guess as to why this game became nail-biting close. Did you say Craig Kimbrell because you're very smart? And you got that right. Yes, Craig Kimbrell did get this game once again as close to a loss as he possibly could. David Ross pulled the plug. Kyle Ryan gave up uh, some hard contact, but Chris Bryant, uh, who has been playing stellar defense at third base all year, made a really nice play uh, to secure the W in this one. But the rest of the tail in this game, a good bounce back start for Kyle Hendricks. Still not as strong as he was in that first game and as dominant as we know he can be, but it was seven strong innings from Kyle. Seven hits, two earned, no walks, and three strikeouts. 
Following him was Jeremy Dreffers, someone we will talk about when we get to the bullpen portion of our discussion. His second hold of the year on Tuesday. No hits, no runs, no walks, and a strikeout. I have Obviously, I mentioned Kimbrell, a third of an inning, two hits, two runs, no walks, uh, but a strikeout. How about that? A strikeout. There you go. Hooray. And Kyle Ryan obviously picking up his first save of the year in two-thirds of an inning. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. It was Jason Day at Wrigley Field. Jason Hayward gave the Cubs a lead after the Royals took an early one to nothing lead in the bottom of the second with his first home run of the season. Jason Kipnis would follow in the fourth with a two-run home run himself. That is his second of the year. And Wilson Contreras would deliver his second home run of the year later in the eighth to add on some apparently much needed insurance. So good thing Wilson hit that home run. Uh, but that made it five to two. And then, of course, I explained where we got in that one, but that was the Cubs offense for Tuesday. On Wednesday, the Cubs picking up another W behind the arm of Yu Darvish, who was great in this game, picking up his second win of the year. Seven innings pitch, five hits, one earned, one walk, and four strikeouts. He's got a 2.12 ERA on the year. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on a Javi Baez single. Wilson Contreras grounding into a double play to bring in a run that gave the Cubs a 2-1 to one lead. Once again, the Royals jumped out to an early one to nothing lead in this one, but the Cubs quickly erased that. And then in the top of the eighth, the Cubs would add some insurance, give the bullpen a little room, uh, which is always nice to see these days. Javi Baez with an RBI single, Wilson Contreras with an RBI single. In the ninth, Victor Caratini would add an RBI single, and then he would chug home on a Chris Bryant double, and chug he did. Uh, There was a really good video by the uh, Marquee Network Twitter account comparing Victor Caratini in this one to David Ross. Uh, if you remember in 2016, he scored on a John Lester double uh, and he had to chug to get home from first base. Uh, and if you remember, David was like keeled over at home plate. Uh, this was very reminiscent of that. They both kind of did that. I'm very exhausted, slide at home. Uh, but hey, good on Vic. Uh, some good base running there to get the run in. So six to one was the final on Wednesday and then a real clunker on Thursday. Not a good outing for Tyler Chatwood who had obviously, as we talked about, been excellent uh, in his first two starts of the year. This one, not so much. Two and a third, 11 hits, eight earned runs, no walks, uh, and four strikeouts. So wasn't walking, guys. This was not uh, a Chatwood outing from 2018, uh, but the Royals make a ton of contact, and they did that against Chatwood. A lot of hard contact, a lot of soft contact that found the right spots, and that'll do it to you. So not a good outing for him. Uh, Not a good outing for Dwayne Underwood Jr. either. Two and a third, four hits, three earned, two walks, and one strikeout. So I would say uh, his role certainly possibly in jeopardy as we go forward here, uh, as he has not looked good in the opportunities that he has been given. Uh, a good outing from Ryan Tapera on Thursday, one and a third, two strikeouts, no hits, no walks. So that is good to see. And we did see Craig Kimbrell again. Oh joy. Uh, one inning pitch, two hits, one earned, one walk, and one strikeouts. He did finally get people to swing at his curveball. Two swings at the curveball, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like we need a, a siren, Brendan, or if, if, if there could be confetti coming out of your phone or computer, however you're listening to this, I feel, uh, perhaps, perhaps that's an occasion that warrants it. He got a whiff on his curveball. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we are with that, folks. Uh, I think that about sums it up. But again, the final on Thursday, 13-2 to for the Royals, who decide to uh, really really make some noise in, in the last game of this series. But again, going back to the way that we started this, the Cubs win three of four here. They've won every series they played. They came into Thursday's game on a six-game winning streak. They're winning more games than anybody else in the league. Uh, so I, I think all things considered, this is a, a really good spot for this team to be the Thursday clunker notwithstanding, Brendan. The rotation, Corey, looking great. And I've seen a few discussions that are like justifiable and I think they're they're definitely worthy of talking about, but I've seen some discussions about like Alec Mills and John Lester and specifically their whiff rate or lack thereof. And I kind of just want to like highlight that because despite them not getting those whiffs. And they're not. Like even in Alec Mills uh start against the Royals, 98 pitches, only six whiffs. Despite that, they're still getting 
incredibly weak contact. So Mills, in that start against the Royals, he threw 31 sinkers. Corey, the average exit velocity against that sinker that day was 74 miles per hour. The league average rate is 90. He threw 31, average exit velo 74. He threw 21 sliders. The average exit velo was 61 miles per hour, Corey. And so Lester's following that same path. And if we just look at just overall like exit velo given up by this Cubs rotation, they're among the best in the entire league, Corey. So there are two sides of the coin. You can look at strikeouts and we love, I love strikeouts. Me personally, I love strikeouts. That's why you Darvish is so fun to watch. But there are some outliers in that strikeout perspective where you can still get outs not whiffing guys. If you're commanding, if you're following your scouting reports and for Mills and for Lesser, they're doing that and they're doing that with success. And who knows, maybe as the year progresses, as Lester, as Mills settle in, the whips may come out too. And then you're setting yourself up for even better outings, I think. And so with Quintana coming back and you have Chatwood, who was still throwing strikes in that clunker of an outing, just left everything up. Everything was leaking for him that day. But overall, the rotation is doing and executing their game plan that Tommy Hadevi and Craig Breslow are putting out there almost to perfection, you know, hyperbole there. But seriously, like what they're doing is really impressive. Yeah, uh, agreed. And, you know, one number that Jordan Bastian from Cubs.com was was talking about the other night, certainly this number will have changed uh, given the outing on Thursday from Chatwood. But going into Thursday, the Cubs led the league in th- having the lowest allowed exit yeah. velocity of their starting rotation at 83.8 miles per hour. Yeah, the impressive. worst in the league was the Nationals at around 91 miles per hour. So that's an example of kind of what you're talking about. Like that's something that Lester and Mills and Hendricks in particular are able to really pitch toward. They they generate a lot of weak contact. But when you have defense like Javi and Bodie and KB and Nico and the outfield too, like when they're all playing defensively sound baseball, it's reminiscent to what we saw work in 2016 and for a large part of 2017 and 2018 too, that lockdown vacuum defense allows those contact guys to go deeper into games, protect that bullpen and save runs. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discount. DealDash.fm backwards slash blue wire. That is D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backwards slash blue wire. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online. Your online wagering expert. Right. And, you know, this, this, because of the record and, and they, you know, they started at the, at the same pace, there's, you know, obviously a lot of comparisons to 2016. Uh, and I, I, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't go that far uh, in any of this. But it's just to say that that is what the 2016 team lived on. They, they really made a, their money on pitching to weak contact and converting that to outs. If the ball was put in play, they were going to convert it to an out. 
And we're just seeing a lot of similar trends. You don't have to compare them exactly, right? Like the 2016 team was a historic team. I don't think that this team is is that good, right? I think that's fair to say. But you can still win in similar ways, and you can still take advantage of strengths that this team has and use that to win baseball games, and that is what we have seen so far. And actually, on that note, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that, and then what I want to do is is talk about these starting pitching performances more, especially in relation to where Jose Quintana is and, and that kind of debate, seeing that debate kind of springing up a little bit, so I figured we would talk about that. But I just want to stay on that for a moment. So looking at the rotation allowing so much soft contact, at least so far, again, the lowest average exit velocity in the league in terms of just rotation starters. I think you guys know that because if it was all pitchers on the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell would have ruined that number by himself. Uh, So (laughs) hopefully you guys just knew that uh, inherently, but just starters is when I'm saying that. And some of these numbers you know, we know, you know, defensive metrics, a lot is, is made about, you know, what to trust and how reliable they are, et cetera. And some of the teams have played six games. Some of the teams have played 13 games. It's a weird season. I, I get all that, right? You know, I, you know, we know there, there's caveats abound, right? But something that I would point out to you, and, and I bring it up especially because it relates to a lot of the conversations that we had about the 2019 Cubs, is this team right now ranks near the top of the league, I believe at number four, coming into Thursday, again, uh, before that clunker of a game. So you can just assume some of these tick a little bit down, right? But they came into the league with the fourth best BSR rating, base running rating on fan graphs. They came into the league as the number one team in terms of DRS, defensive run saves, uh, one of the top five teams in defensive war. And again, this is all over the place. Some of the teams have barely played. I, I understand all that. The point is not to suggest this is the best base running team in the league or this is the best defensive team in the league. That is not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is is if you go back and think about 2019, we were talking about how at certain points in the season, this team led the league in outs on the bases. They were seemingly routinely making laps plays in the field, missing cutoff men, throwing to the wrong base, screwing things up, right? Like this, it seemed like that was happening very frequently and it just didn't seem characteristic of this group, characteristic of this core. And just, again, as we were just talking about 2016, like what this team has been successful on in this era of Cubs baseball. And so again, where this all shakes out at the end of the year, where they deserve to be, you know, I don't know. But the important thing is they're not at the bottom. They're closer to the top and at the top in some of these areas. And I just think that's important because when we talked about what the different, you know, without major roster changes, right, which we haven't really seen for, you know, years now, basically, you know, how does this team improve these things? How do they get better? How do they get back to reaching that ceiling? Those are the areas. And we talked about this a million times, like cleaning this up, yeah. enough of this sloppiness and 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 that type of stuff. And at least in the early going here, the base running is grading out better. And I think from the eye test, I don't know if you agree or disagree, Brendan, but it looks better. The defense is rating better. Oh, yeah. It looks better, oh, yeah. right? And yeah. the pitching staff is is getting back to doing a little bit more of what we've seen this team and, and some of the guys in this group have real success with. So where it goes from here, we'll have to remain and see. But in this early going here, I, I do genuinely believe that this group is playing a cleaner brand of baseball. And I think that that's a very positive development in the early going here. I want to focus too on the depth. We talked about the depth during the offseason on a weekly basis. The depth this year has been phenomenal. You have David Bodie, you have Kipnis, you have Ian Happ stepping up. You have all these guys who are making a substantive difference where you're allowing David Ross to mix and match. And you're allowing, for example, Nico Horner to get more chances because you're 10 and 2. And maybe you don't need to you know, really force every single at-bat of every single guy who may have a better quote-unquote matchup. You don't have to do that. Your banking wins early. It's significant. But I want to talk about Bodie. I want to talk about Nico. I want to talk about Schwarber, those three guys. Bodie, underrated so far this year. We know about his defense. In years past, he's rated well above league average on balls hit to his left, balls hit to his right, and balls hit behind him. He's rated 
below league average on balls hit directly to him. That matches my eye test. I think it matches your eye test too, Corey. For some reason, Bodie has been botching routine plays, but he has the potential. He has the defensive capacity to make the extremely difficult plays. And once he cleans up the routine plays, he's going to turn into a plus defender. There were some metrics by Stackhouse in 2018 that showed David Bodie is one of the best defenders in the league. And he's not even a natural third baseman. He's a natural second baseman and he can play shortstop. But when you combine his defensive value, which is there, with what he's shown offensively, it gives me more optimism. And his offensive numbers right now, friend of the podcast, Ryan Tomer, uh, pointed this out, his exit velo is better than 96% of the leagues in the top five. And his barrel percentage is number one, Corey, among everyone. And I get it. He's only had like around 30 plate appearances. I get that. But the a lot of the numbers, the underlying numbers like swing rate, a lot of the play discipline numbers that we talk about, like outside the zone swing rate, they are approaching stabilization already. Like around 100 pitches, these numbers stabilize. So when we talk about Nico, when we talk about Bodie and their plate discipline, we are talking about a reliable sample size. This is not a short season effect. This is not a random effect that may not continue. You can assume going forward, at least in the short term, Absent of any extreme changes, this type of approach will continue for the next few weeks. That's just how it works. That's what a lot of statisticians try to quantify reliably. And going to Nico, going to Schwarber, Nico is swinging at well below league average pitches outside the strike zone. That that's that is a huge development for Nico. Last year he's swinging at, at pitches outside the zone, similar to Javi Baez, the similar frequencies around thirty percent this year. That is a huge dip in a reliable sample. Schwarber, the numbers are not there in terms of overall like home runs and base hits, but he's top five in exit velo in the league as well. So you have the Cubs tearing the cover off the ball. Two of them have markedly improved their plate discipline, Schwarber and Nico, but they're not showing for it with the runs yet. But with that approach, I would bet they start showing some runs in the near future with it. So the depth has been huge for this team because, for example, KB has been out with injuries, out with gastrointestinal issues, and they've still scored runs. An injury like that last year completely derailed that team from June through August when KB was dealing with that knee injury and his shoulder on and off. So this is this is a huge development to have Nico step up, to have Bodie improve, to have Hap come out. This is a huge development for this team and for David Ross, mixing and matching certain guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just on uh, KB, I mean, you know, we've obviously, we don't even entertain most of the discussion about him, but good to see him. He uh, two for three game on Monday, two for five on Wednesday, obviously had the home run. So a nice series for him. And yeah, you know, like, I mean, I think uh, on the whole, it's it's hard to really dig into so many of these numbers, just because as I mentioned, like, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on uh, around the league. I mean, I, as, as I, I don't think I I need to tell any of you that Christian Yelich like is having one of the worst seasons in baseball yes, and that's, that's far correct. be it from me to uh, do anything other than just enjoy th- that completely because War, he deserves season, it yeah. Uh, yeah. after he spouted off to you Darvish completely unfairly and rudely. Um, yeah, it, it it's just weird to look at some of these numbers. There's there's just you know it's it's I don't want to keep pointing to how strange this season is and stuff like that. But again, like you look around the league, like there's some some big names that you would expect to be performing well that aren't. There's a lot of injuries. There's there's just a lot of stuff that I think we still have to adjust to. So I think that's why we go back to talking about how important it is to be banking these wins because it allows you to let these guys play through some of this stuff. If if this were uh, a different scenario you know maybe maybe there's pressure on some of these guys to start you know getting better results and 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 putting it on uh but in a situation like this you know you kind of have to be a little flexible with everything that's going on and if the team as a whole is winning that certainly makes that job a lot easier for David Ross to figure that out but but let's let's stick on uh at least just second base just talking about some of these guys because we were going to talk about it um I think that Kipnis and and Nico is is a really good situation 
for the Cubs right now. Obviously, Kipnis hitting a home run in this one. If you look at a lot of the footage from the dugout, I mean, clearly a guy, I know we joke about it a lot, but uh, you would assume that growing up in Northbrook and being a Cubs fan and playing for the Chicago Cubs would be a lot of fun, right? Uh, and so, yeah. it really looks like Jason Kipnis is having a lot of fun. Uh, I've been talking about vibing in the dugout a lot, and Jason Kipnis looks like he's feeling it, yeah, being a Chicago Cubs. Yeah, us too, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and and hitting home runs and and I, I think that I we liked that relationship going in and and not really being sure exactly how David Ross was going to play that out. Um, but I like what they've done so far. And again, another advantage of of banking these early wins, like you know, Nico is not lighting up the offensive scoreboard and then and, and the statistics right now and and it's ebbed and flowed certainly he's had some really nice games he's had some games where you know he looks a bit overmatched but that's the deal when you have someone as young as him who's flown through the system and is is being uh tasked with being an MLB starter basically and I've I've liked that David Ross has given him the majority of the playing time, has basically had him as the starter at second base, and you have someone like Kipnis who's really thriving in that role, coming off the bench or getting those spot starts in matchups that they like, and and that's proving very successful. So I think at least for now, especially because the team is winning and because Kipnis is, is performing well in those other spots, it allows you to let Nico do the work. He's got adjustments to make. He's very young, you know, expecting him to just hop in there and, you know, just sort of be a settled, established everyday starter. That's a tall order for for someone. So the, the, the combination of everything allows them to be patient with that. And we talked about going into this season, how important that was going to be, because this is a unique spot. And I think a lot of us believe, especially in, in this type of season, that you need, that, that Nico deserves to get that shot, but you do have to make sure you're keeping in mind his longer-term development, and I think that they've been able to do that so far uh, in this season. He got to start in center field, so it's kind of letting him get his versatility wings, which is obviously uh, a big thing with this Cubs group, Uh, but I've liked everything that's gone on there. Obviously, Nico you want to see improvements and adjustments and, and just better overall numbers at the plate, right? But I think you know you knew going in that this was going to be a process and something that you have to be patient with, uh, given his age and given the player that you believe he can develop into. And, you know, you don't throw that away after two weeks of of letting a guy start. And and the the Cubs winning these games and the team as a whole and, and their their cohesiveness, their chemistry and and just everything going on around with them allows for them to let Nico take yeah. his time, make the adjustments and and make sure that he is on the right track both for the team and for his career personally. This podcast is sponsored by Roman Health. Talking about sensitive health issues such as hair loss and ED can be extremely challenging and uncomfortable. Usually, we just ignore the problem or even blame ourselves. We might even ignore it due to stress at work or at home. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for hair loss and ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is very straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs and complete an online visit. Go to Roman.com slash Cubs today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Cubs. GetRoman.com slash Cubs. We've seen Ross to be a little bit more patient with the guys in the lineup. And I don't know, in, in my mind, I'm a little surprised with that. I don't know if surprise is even the right perspective because we had no expectations about his managerial style, but... I anticipated Ross to be a little bit more reactionary. And what I mean by that is when we look at Nico, we look at Jason Hayward, even like Chris Bryant to a degree early on, he's kept him in the lineup in the exact same spots. Like Hayward's bat is six almost every single game, Corey. 
and the underlying numbers for Hayward, there's an argument to be made that he's been getting screwed. And I can support that argument, even though he's not lifting the ball. But the point being is Ross appears to be seeing what a lot of the underlying numbers suggest, which is that their play discipline, their overall bat ball portfolio over the long term should translate into success. And so he's having patience with that. I think, too, with Nico, I am surprised that Kipnis has not played more. I, I am, at least in the last like week or so, just because Nico... He's still, you know, he still needs to adjust and the Cubs, they preach urgency and whatnot, but there's a fine balance that we see on display of Ross promoting the development of some of his guys while also trying to capitalize and and trying to figure out what is real versus what is not working. And I think when we look at the singles, the doubles, the home runs, and all these surface-based statistics, we're not seeing that with like KB and Hayward and Schwarber and Nico. But the underlying numbers do favor their long-term outcomes. And I think Ross is nailing that almost perfectly, Corey. And I think he should be lauded for that. Because on the surface, it looks like he's being maybe a little bit too patient, but maybe he's not. Yeah, I I love what we've seen from David Ross. I think he's committed to getting the best hitters on this team the most at bats, putting them at the top of the order uh, in the top five or the top six, you know, depending on who is in there on a given day. And again, the little stuff like Ian Happ is getting the majority of the starts. It's not even close. Amora is not starting against lefties. Hap has started, uh, I believe, 11 of these 13 games. It's it's his job to lose, and that's how it should be, and that's what we've been advocating for. Uh, Nico, getting the playing time, allowing him to get his legs as a big leaguer and, and get this experience and get those at-bats and make those adjustments, and he's committed to, to some of these things. And, you know, again, like as we go along in a 60-game season, you're going to have to make adjustments, you're, you know, as we get closer to figuring out who's going to be in the playoffs and, and figuring all that out, you know, you're going to have to make tougher decisions right? Uh, As you would in any season. But I think at least in the early going here, Ross has done almost everything right. And as we said on the last episode, like I think a lot of the stuff that that even you wouldn't like, you know, you'd really be nitpicking um, as for stuff that, that you know, you don't like from David Ross or, or stuff that he hasn't done. And, uh, you know, again, we continue to hear from the guys, uh, whether it's Chatwood, Ian Happ, or a couple of the guys that spoke about it this week. We've mentioned how many of the guys have spoken about it in the weeks past, but he just has the, ut- they all have the utmost respect for Ross. They're speaking very highly of the culture that's been created, the accountability that exists with this team, and just their overall desire to play well and, and give their best for David Ross. So I think high marks uh, on that all around. And you just, you know, you kind of have to just see how these adjustments go going forward. But speaking of decisions that David Ross and, and, and the front office will have to make, let's get to that Quintana discussion. So I don't know, Brendan, if you had any particular notes uh, further on any of these starts. I know we talked about Mills a little bit. Uh, Hendricks was, you know, good, not as as good as he can be or as we've seen him be, but it was a good start. Uh, you Darvish was great in this Kansas City series, but where we are with Quintana is that he threw a session on Thursday. Uh, all of this has gone well, obviously, as he is progressing uh, forward, so there have been no setbacks, but he threw 35 pitches on Thursday afternoon in a sim game, uh, and he has a bullpen session slated for Saturday. So we still don't know exactly what timeline he's on, and uh, I, I know that they've said he's he's mixing in all his pitches, but we, we don't know how he looks uh, how soon he might be able to throw what would be considered a start's worth of pitches in, in one outing. We really, you know, they're, they're, they're just going through this to get him on track. We don't really have an exact timeline in this, but when this happens, this is already a discussion that people are happening, uh, having, excuse me. Do you have a thought, Brendan, I assume that you do, on what they should do with Quintana. And obviously, this is at least uh, slightly more interesting, I suppose, after the outing that Chatwood had on Thursday. Um, prior to the only reason I say that is prior to that, it's like, you know, really, the Mills, Lester, and Chatwood, again, prior to Thursday, hadn't had any bad outings. So when the talk of Quintana returning or, you know, working towards getting back was going on, a lot of people were like, well, uh, you know, who you who are you gonna 
move out of the rotation because these other guys aren't really giving you a reason to do that. Again, Chatwood now with a bad start, but I, you know that's certainly not changing mine or I don't think your opinion on him, Brendan. But what do you think uh, should be the direction here with Quintana? Um, just all, all things considered, I mean, everything that, that, that's gone on, I, I think it's fair to not necessarily buy into uh, maybe even both Chatwood and Mills, right? And 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 think that, you know, Quintana's had years of a level of consistency and uh, that, you know, maybe he deserves to slot back in. That That's not my particular belief, uh, but I, I think it's at least fair to acknowledge that. So, so given all of the context here, without knowing when this might be, what are you leaning towards as far as how to utilize Quintana? Assume, let's, and let's assume that when he comes back, you know, his, his arm strength is getting there or close to being able to throw 80, 90, 100 pitches, and he looks like himself. Let's let's have that be the, the scenario here. But can he, can he throw 80, 90 to 100 pitches? I mean, he didn't well, have... Well, it might be a bit, yeah. Right. So we don't even know if that's even possible. Like, Maybe it is. Who knows, right? But we're already a quarter through the season, dude. We're two games away from the quarter mark. Um, I, I mean, I, I I get what Ross has been doing with with being a little bit more patient with some particular guys in the lineup, and maybe that signals he may be patient with Q uh, and give him a, ch- a chance. But I don't see it happening. I, I got to be honest with you. I just don't see a good argument against taking Mills and Chatwood out of the rotation. I think that's really the discussion is should we take them out of the rotation? Yeah, the Q is the 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 candidate to replace them, but what we've seen from Chatwood and Mills suggests they should keep pitching multiple innings, four, five, six, seven innings every single fifth day. I don't see the argument against those two. So my belief and my 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 desire here is to put Q in the bullpen. And I think that's that's valuable as well. We've seen the Cubs have bullpen issues. And there's a possibility that, like we saw today with Chatwood, if Q is available, throw throw Q in the third inning. Just pull out Chatwood. He's not he's not locating his cutters, his curveballs, he's leaking them out there. If you have Q waiting right there, then you can use him to piggyback off Chatwood. That could be an option. I just don't see the logic. There's too there's too many unknowns for me, Corey. To bring Q back and put him into the rotation and take out Mills, I, I just there's just too many unknowns. We've seen Mills in summer camp. We've seen him in in multiple outings now in the rotation. It matches the the eye tests. It matches the numbers. I don't see the argument against it. the The one side of the story that I think is fair as well is that the Cubs do need to get underneath this luxury tax. This is a, like a legitimate issue. They are over it right now. And if they are over it, this could prohibit some of their spending next offseason. And so one way to get below that luxury tax, Corey, is to trade Quintana. That would put them underneath it, more or less. If you don't trade Q, then you have to trade someone else with a, a an equal salary around that range. Who is it going to be? Is it going to be Chatwood then? Maybe, maybe it is Chatwood. I would be shocked if it is at this point. But it appears that Quintana is the only candidate that they can trade while staying competitive and getting underneath the luxury tax. So maybe that's enough reason to put him in the rotation to sell him. But I don't see it right now. I want to keep winning games. I want to see what Mills is doing on a more elongated uh, role. And I want to see Chatwood continue to develop here. I mean, what we've seen with the cutter increased usage, the whiffs, the command. Again, I know this stuff was leaky against the Royals, but overall, Chatwoods looked really good, man. I mean, he sucked it for a completely different reason against the Royals on Thursday night. He threw only 17 pitches outside the zone of 63 pitches. He was still throwing strikes, man. It just it just happens. They hit all of his mistakes. So my desire is cue to the bullpen, and I feel pretty confidently about that right now. Yeah, so I I. I don't know about the the luxury tax situation just because I've given up on trying to even predict or pretend to know what uh, the budget situation is going to be looking at you, Tom. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, it just seems entirely possible to me that they don't plan on spending anyway. So I, I, I just don't know. That's for them to know and figure out what they need to do there. If, if getting under 
is important to them and and that would impact where they are going forward because they do plan to spend money, then yeah, I'm I'm for it. We've talked about that before, but I I just don't know. Um, As far as if he's going to, you know, assuming he's on this team and they're just going to have him as part of this pitching staff, I'm with you. I think moving him to the bullpen, at least to start, is the move. I think it would be to me, again, without seeing Quintana, I, I mean, none of us have seen him. So it's, it's you know, we're at least coming from this from somewhat of an uninformed perspective. Uh, but I think right now, I would find it to be a mistake to plan on him just re-entering the rotation. Um, unless in the time that he's still working back, one of Chatwood or uh, Mills gives you some completely unignorable reason to do that, which I, I would find to be like f- two or three just awful outings in a row. Yeah, it has and, to be obvious, right? Like, it yeah, has to right. Be. Like, just yeah. something glaring that is some, you know, something some, somewhat Kimbrel esque, if you will, where it's just like, I, I don't know how you fix this. Like, He's this is just a mess right now. So, I don't really see that happening. And there's just so many variables here, right? Like we've seen such drastic changes in a lot of the performances from some of these guys that not only was Quintana coming out of the quarantine like everybody else, the the you know, the few months layoff uh, after ramping up for spring training, that's affected a lot of guys differently, right? So you have that variable was already there, but now you have the variable that he went down again and is now having to ramp up again. Where does that leave him? Like, I, I just I just don't know. And like you asked before, how soon is he even able to throw 80, 90, 100 pitches we reliably? Yeah. We don't Do know. That might be a while. So I think given everything that we talked about when he got hurt in the first place, we felt that it wouldn't be that big of a hurdle for this team to overcome just because, again, Quintana's value is he is a guy who always delivers 180 plus innings, always delivers 30 plus starts, right? This is true of him dating back to the years with the White Sox. Like he's been doing this for a while. He's a very consistent pitcher and there's huge value in a 162 game season of being able to be that consistent and be an above average pitcher. There is, there's huge value in that. That's why you pay for it. But in this type of season, when you've already seen what you've seen from Mills and Chatwood. It's only two starts for Mills, and it's only three starts for Chatwood, and one of them was bad. But I would legitimately ask all of you right now, do you honestly believe that Jose Quintana represents a better payoff, a better potential ceiling than both of those guys? My answer is no. It's not to drag Jose Quintana. It's not to say that he's bad. But those first two outings from Chatwood, Quintana's not doing that, right? He's just not. We've seen him put together some outings like that, but uh, but like two outings in a row like that, getting that many whiffs and that many strikeouts, I would rather see if Chatwood can keep doing that and keep getting closer to giving you that ceiling. And with Mills, you know, this is a guy that's earned that spot. You also have to think about that. Like Mills has worked for this spot. He's been in this system. He's gone up. He's gone down. And he, you know, he came in, like you said, Brennan, like he performed well in summer camp. He's performing well here. He's, he's done nothing to warrant being moved to a different role. And, and I think you have to consider that as well. And, and again, you just have to ask yourself, like without knowing, like what, what is Quintana going to be able to give you? You know, we, I mean, we don't even know, like that, that would be his first time facing another team's hitters in a, in a long time. So it, it's just hard for me to feel confident about what you would be getting there. And I also think he's one of those candidates who, because he doesn't have a super diverse pitch mix, he'd be able to, the stuff would play up in the bullpen. He's a lefty coming out of the bullpen. You know that he's able to get whiffs. You know he's able to command his pitches and is a guy who's you know been able to get outs and be effective for years and stuff usually plays up in the pen you throw another lefty out there and you know maybe that would be a really valuable weapon for you um is it possible that they do a six-man thing you never know I mean we you know we've heard you know guys like John Lester don't typically like that you know they kind of like to be on that five-day routine um I I would assume that especially in a season where they're only going to get 
you know, an obviously lesser number of starts. You know, I don't know how a guy like you Darvish or Kyle Hendricks would feel about that, you know, kind of like pushing everything off another day. If they feel it would be beneficial to them and, you know, just the the schedule and the ramp up and all that other stuff, it, it might be beneficial. You know, I I don't inherently have a problem with that. That's for for them to judge. But I think if we're looking at this as a five man group and deciding if either Quintana's coming back in here and taking somebody's spot or if he should start in the bullpen, the latter is 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 my choice. I just think, especially to start, that's the safer one. Gives you the option to see what you have in Quintana. And look, if you're down the road and you know we're talking toward the end of the season here, and one of Mills or Chatwood is just not bringing it you know, and then they're they're delivering more clunkers than they are effective outings, and Quintana looks good in a different role. He can be stretched out, and, and you feel confident in that. I'm all for it, right? But I just think right now, when you're, when you're getting the performance from those two guys that you've gotten, and you really just have no clue what you would be expecting out of Quintana, I would not be in any rush to jam him back in in that rotation would be uh, my particular stance. So it sounds like we're sort of on the same page there. That that seems to be a pretty common sentiment. Um, like I said, it's it's at least a little more interesting after the outing on Thursday, just because prior Mills and Chatwood and Lester, not none of them had delivered a bad outing. So I think the the majority of the conversation was like, no, I don't want Keenan in the rotation. Like, who are you getting rid of? Like, but. We'll see. It's it's something to monitor. Again, he only threw 35 pitches today on Thursday. He's got a bullpen on Saturday, so I, you know, I'm not sure how soon we're even having this conversation, but something to keep an eye on. So, now just want to check in on the bullpen as we have been. Uh, I, you know, I think that what we have been pointing to, Brendan, is kind of what we're seeing. I, I think that that group that we laid out um, in the last episode of kind of who was in that. Not necessarily we expect this guy to be elite group, but we can trust these guys, right? This is this is part of the group that we're going to think is going to be a part of a bigger, better bullpen as we go forward here. Rowan Wick looks really good. I think Tapera looks really good. Uh, and certainly someone who, you know, should keep getting those opportunities and, and continuing to build on what his exact role might be. Um, Kyle Ryan's struggling a little bit. You know, he still gets the ground balls and he's got that funky delivery, but the velo's down. So th- there's there's certainly something to look at there. And he's had some bad outings. Um, but I think given his performance in 2019, you know, has earned a little bit of trust and, and the opportunity to work through some of that stuff. Casey Sadler, again, another guy who I don't think you're envisioning him being uh, your Kimbrel replacement or, you know, in, in super high leverage spots with everything on the line, but he throws strikes. He's a guy that throws strikes. He's been getting outs. I think he's in that group. Uh, but the the one that I, I really want to highlight before I guess we talk about some of the lowlights, I suppose, Jeffress, man, um, beyond thrilled with the way that he has pitched. Now, he's also had dealing with diminished velocity, but this is a guy who I just trust, and it's it's easy to do so because he's been so successful so far in his time with the Cubs. But this is a guy who goes out there. He's he brings the energy. He brings you know when he gets out of innings, he's pumped, right? He he's he he looks like, and they all do. But it's very visible with Jeffress that he is intent, right, on getting outs and not allowing runs. And he's pumped about it when it happens. And he just is one of those guys who right now looks like, yes, the velocity is down, but he's going to work with what he's got. And you just trust him. He's just a guy that I feel very comfortable handing the ball to right now. Um, And so that's kind of where I have things with the bullpen. Uh, Like I mentioned in kind of doing that recap, I think Underwood Jr. is someone who's, uh, you know, maybe getting close to not being given more opportunities if he's not already there, uh, just, you know, giving up home runs. And then today, you know, look, when you're fighting for a spot, you're a guy that can go long, um, and the team is down. You know, when he entered the game, it you know the the Royals were ahead by eight runs. Uh, walks two guys, gives up three runs, gives up four hits. There was a lot of hard contact, a lot of balls, uh, non-competitive pitches in two and a third innings. 
just not the performance you want to see after a couple outings prior to that, giving up uh, some home runs. Uh, Winkler walked one, gave up a run in this game on Thursday, and then you know I don't know with Craig Kimbrell. But but where are you with with all these guys in the bullpen? Any anything that I didn't mention there, Brendan? No, I think Jeffress is the one to highlight. Uh, the velocity again. We talked about it last episode, but just uh, as a point of emphasis. Jeffress is throwing a completely different pitch mix from years past. So the velocity of 94 and 95, 96 was working in a completely different pitch repertoire. So this year, he's throwing a splitter once every three pitches. Why is that significant? Because last year, he only threw that 7% of the time. So he's almost throwing the splitter five times more this year. And what is he throwing uh, the splitter Instead of the curveball, last year's curveball, the isolated power against this curveball was around 200. That's not good. That means doubles. That means home runs. The isolated power this year against his splitter, Corey, and even last year when he was throwing it 7% of the time. This year, zero. No extra base hits from the splitter. He throws it once every three pitches. He's getting whips once every five splitters. Big deal. And so you take away a curveball that was not that effective last year. You put in a splitter into that normal sequencing. You limit the extra base hits. You increase the whiffs. And you offset some of the velocity decrease that you've seen. Because the splitter and his four seam, they have very similar spin access rotation. I'm sure, actually I'm positive, that his fastball probably looks better in terms from Tommy Hadovy's perspective, because it's playing off the splitter. So Jeffress, in my mind, is a completely different pitcher. Like talking about Jeffress with with the Brewers doesn't do justice. They're two different guys right now. This is a new Jeffress, in my opinion. And so if he continues to look like this, I have no issue. Put him in the ninth. He's the closer for now. And I think Over my mindset. Wit? Yeah, dude. <laughs> I think so. I know. It's kind of it's kind of so the reason the reason I say that, we can talk about it. The reason I want him over Wick is because, one, the mindset, the experience. I do value that right now. I love Wick. You know I love Wick. But mm-hmm. Jeffress has done this for a while in a shortened season. I want to limit as many unknowns as possible. Okay, So if we have a portfolio by Jeffress that is getting a lot of whiffs, and that looks sustainable, which I think it does with that splitter because it's being used more with the mindset, with the experience... I think the difference between Jeffress and Wick right now today is negligible. I don't think there's much of a difference. And so because of that, I'm going to default to the experience. I just am. And this can change on a weekly basis. I love, You know I love Rowan Wick, right? If Jeffress starts to leak a little bit, the splitter's not as effective, absolutely. It's your turn. It's your turn, Wick. And that could happen by the end of the next week, and I'm all support it. But right now today, based on what we've seen... I would I would probably would go with Jeffress and Wick too is is not immune to this velocity decrease. He's throwing about a, a tick mile per hour slower too, and he's a two pitch guy. He's looked great. Don't get me wrong, but again, I do value the experience. I think the difference in in stuff right now is very minimal, and because of that, I'm going to limit the unknown. And the unknown for me is can Wick in 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 an elongated closer role handle it right now and i think i think he could i have a lot of confidence in him but i'm gonna limit the unknowns for this week that's all yeah i'm i would i would defer to wick actually so i i think we disagree there um it's, I, it's I, such a close it's, like, it's not even an argument it's so close if it's wick yeah i'll support yes. wick too it's so close well and and also, I, I do think, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to, it's kind of hard to get a read on exactly what they're doing because, you know, Wick came into that game uh, on Monday to close out and get a save in a 2 to nothing game, right? Uh, but then you had Kimbrell come in on Tuesday with a three-run lead. Uh, we, you know, saw Jeffress come in and relieve Kimbrell in that game in Cincinnati. So I, I'm not exactly sure how they would even define these roles right now. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't have a problem. I don't know if one of Wick or Jeffress needs to be told they're the closer or, or be set in that it role because I wouldn't right. be opposed to switching off and just kind of going with what the day Match-ups. requires. I, I think that, you know, if you want more of that 
overpowering velocity based stuff based on the matchup. If you want that earlier in the game where you need to put out a fire, I'm fine with that. If you want to go to Jeffress and his pitch mix and his confidence and experience to put out a fire earlier in the game, I'm fine with that too. I, I think you can balance that. And it, again, if if they need more defined roles just to be successful, then uh, you know, I guess pick one. If you were asking me, I would go with Wick to start. Uh, but I, I think either way, like those are your back end guys right now that you're trusting. So yeah. So, you know, we also saw Colin Ray on Wednesday. He threw an inning, no walks, no runs, no hits, two strikeouts. So interested to see more of him going forward. But yeah, like I I think again, like that Sadler, Wick, Jeffress, um, Tapera, I think that group, at least for now, is is still that where you're looking for for that trustworthy stuff. I I, I before we do the the series preview for this weekend with the Cardinals, I don't really have anything to add on Kimbrel. I don't think they should have brought him into that game. Um, you you got to be prioritizing wins. I said this before, not getting Kimber right. I don't care if it's a three run lead. I don't care if it's a four run lead. He shouldn't be pitching in games that you've you need to lock down and win. And so I thought that was a mistake, but I appreciate David Ross having that quick hook, uh, only allowing him the, you know, the minimum amount of batters he has to face, which is three, uh, and then getting the hook. So I I didn't like putting him in there, but I don't really have more to say on that. He's, he's clearly not right. And even though, you know, he gets a strikeout in, uh, that game on Tuesday, you know, which was, you know, like nice to see, I guess, um, and was able to throw the curveball for strikes in that at bat. So you were kind of able to see why it's important to be able to command your pitches. Uh, but the fastball was still getting killed. And then on Thursday, you know, sort of more of the same. He gets two guys to swing at his curveball. But, you know, now we're, we're, we're talking about, okay, he got swings on his curveball while the Royals are up 13 to 2 right? Like, who cares? Uh, So again, like, if you want to get him work, these are the games to do it. When the Cubs are losing by literally 11 runs, uh, then go ahead, let him work through things. But he should not ever be pitching in games that the Cubs think they have a chance to win. I think that was a mistake on Tuesday. And again, they keep skirting away with, like, trying to screw up wins, and I don't like it. just stop using Kimbrel in those spots. I don't know how to fix it. It's I'm it's above my pay grade, but you got to stop doing that. I I don't really care that it was what I guess a slight improvement on Thursday. Doesn't matter. Figure it out when they're getting blown out like they did on Thursday. Don't do what you did on Tuesday until you have a very obvious reason to do so. So uh, as long as you don't have anything to add on Kimbrel, I assume you're in the same spot. Let's just go ahead and look at this series with St. Louis. Okay, so three games set against St. Louis in St. Louis. First game, Friday, 7.15 p.m. Central start time. Your boy, John Lester, on the mound, 1-0 with a 0.82 ERA. Facing Lester for the Cardinals is Daniel Ponce de Leon. He is 0-1 with a 6.75 ERA. And then on Saturday, we have Alec Mills back on the mound. Adam Wainwright will be facing Mills. Mills on the year, 2-0 with a 1.38 ERA. This is Adam Wainwright's second start. On the year, only in that one start, 1-0, he has a 1.5 ERA. On Sunday, the Cardinals have not announced a starter. Jack Flaherty was supposed to pitch this weekend, so I'm assuming that's going to be a spot. They did push him back. And we have Kyle Hendricks on the mound for that finale on Sunday Night Baseball. Hendricks on the year. This will be his fourth start. He is 2-1 with a 3.54 ERA. This is the Cardinals' first series since... All their COVID positive tests. So right now the Cubs still atop the division, ten and three. Uh, Cardinals two and three, of course, because of COVID. So I think really the one area to monitor is COVID. This, this is the first series since they've gone down. What will the Cardinals look like? How will they be managed? Uh, any other additional health cautions for the Cubs? We'll be hearing about that. John Lester did say that on Monday, I believe, or maybe Tuesday or earlier in the week, he did say he'd be surprised if he was going to play this weekend. So they are playing. I am surprised too. And so that's got to be the number one area of focus. Yeah. I mean, by all accounts, it you know sounds like they've cleaned up whatever they needed to clean up. It, it's nice of the Cardinals to take this seriously uh, now. 
you know, as opposed to what everybody else was doing, which was taking it seriously the whole time. But I don't know what anybody expects from that dumpster of an organization. So, yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about these guys' safety. Like, you're going to a place where guys were not taking it seriously. There was a massive outbreak, but it— it sounds like they've cleaned this up, and I certainly don't think that the Cubs would be participating if they believed that that was not the case. So uh, I'm I'm all good there as long as the Cubs feel comfortable. And this is it's a tough one to predict. Like the Cardinals haven't been playing. You know they're going to be down. Uh, you know some of their players and. I think you got to go in and try and take advantage. Like this is a team that is not fresh. They're not going to be at full strength and you got to just keep rolling. But I, I think, you know, for the most part, like without, you know, there, there's, there's stuff to nitpick there. There's stuff that isn't going as successfully as you'd like from the Cubs perspective. But I think on, on the whole, right, like they're 10 and three, they haven't lost a series. They're, they're racking up these wins. And as we kind of started with, I, I think they're playing a much cleaner, better brand of baseball. And you just look to to keep that going forward. And, you know, I think when we can get, uh, you know, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Contreras, Schwarber going and hot and, and you know, the, the ball falling for them all at the same time, I think this offense is only going to get better uh, when, you know, when they can all heat up. And I, you know, expect this starting rotation to continue doing what they're doing, which is quality starts and, and keeping this team in games. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's 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 all good uh, right now with with the Cubs. It's it's tough to find. It, it's always good when it's it's sort of tough to find things to complain about. And even when you're doing so, you're doing so despite the fact that they just keep winning games. So I think that's a good place to be. Uh, so with that, that is all we have for you. Uh, we will be back with you after the Cubs and Cardinals finish up their set this weekend, and hopefully the Cubs can continue their winning ways. But as always, we thank you guys for joining us on the Cubs-related podcast. Uh, I have been Corey. He was Brendan. And as always, we end by saying, Go Cubs! Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.